The following is a recording of the Thomas Paine Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. We are located in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. We are also located on the web at www.tpuuf.org. Please come visit us. How precious, how fragile, how short is life. Our lives are but a breath. The divine brings us into being, weaves our lives together, and ushers us into eternal rest. Blessed are the sacred rhythms of life, and holy are these tasks. To be alive, to pay attention, to honor the fleeting with awe and care. We come into this space each Sunday morning to remind ourselves to pay attention to those sacred rhythms of life, to remind ourselves that we are not alone, to touch our deep joy and our deep sorrow. Our faith is one based on bringing your full and true selves here and bearing witness to your true and your full beauty. I'm Reverend Andrew Weber, and I'm so happy to join with this community of ministers as we guide, challenge, love, walk with each other on our paths of life. At Thomas Paine Unitarian Universalist, we come together in striving to promote a place to join in diversity so that we can promote care in ourselves and in the world. A very logistical promotion of care and love that I was just reminded about is please make sure your cell phones are turned on worship mode. I think that should be a mode. And if you remember, actually, was it two weeks ago, we had a lot of exciting cell phone sounds for the, the, the snow alarms. I don't know if you can turn that off. You might, no, you might not be able to, but the other things you can turn off are silence, the text. And if you need to take a phone call, you can go outside, right? Don't take it in here. I don't know that that's happened. That would be amazing if someone's like just talking on their phone. No, good. Not yet. But now let us join together our voices in a responsive reading for the lighting of our chalice. I've asked Susan and Chris to come forward to light the chalice. They'll light as we do this responsive reading. You may use the words on the screen, just like the hymn, the hymnals, or the hymns, or use the words in the hymnal. It's number 442 in the back. I will start with the first voice. We bid you welcome, who come with weary spirit seeking rest who come with troubles that are too much with you. We bid you welcome, who come with hope in your heart. We bid you welcome, who are seekers of a new faith. We bid you welcome, who enter this hall as a homecoming. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey, we bid you welcome. And as we do each Sunday, we recognize our welcoming, we recognize our common goals, and one of them being peace in our hearts and peace in the world, especially at times when there is such a need for peace. As we light our peace lamp, 
May peace be with you. Thank you. Please rise in body or in spirit, and if rising in body, go to the side. And if you need to see the screen, please come forward or get a hymnal number four, no, three, four, six in your hymnal or up on the screen. Come sing a song with me. Right, so for our moment for all ages, we have a story that's adapted from the friendly forest in Friedman's Fables by Edmund Friedman. And throughout this, I'm gonna pose a couple questions. You can either just reflect, or if you feel so inclined, feel free to shout out whatever it makes you think of. Once upon a time, there was a forest full of animals. The forest was filled with deer, mice, turkeys, porcupines, fish in a stream, rabbits, eagles, and many other animals. There was even a lamb in the forest who loved to graze in the meadows and frolic about. But this was not any forest, this was the friendly forest. 
The friendly forest was a place where each animal was able to be themselves without worrying about harm from other animals. The deer, mice, turkeys, porcupines, fish in the stream, rabbits, eagles, and lambs all made agreements on how they were going to live together. There was even a meeting when everyone in the forest was called together and they came up with a covenant with some guidelines or rules about acting nice to one another. This is sort of like the guidelines that youth groups come up with to guide their actions or adults in committees or small group ministry, a way to help them remember how to act with each other. What would be some guidelines you would come up with? Well, the animals all had this great big piece of paper with their agreement on it and life was grand. The fish agreed to respect the deer, the snakes agreed to not eat the porcupines, which was a good idea for everyone involved. <laughs> the owls agreed not to be loud at night so the lamb could sleep. Lo and behold, one day a tiger came to the forest and asked to live among them. The animals were delighted, for they had no tigers in the forest. But the lamb was a little scared, which, being a lamb, was understandable. The lamb somewhat sheepishly expressed its concerns to some friends. But they said, do not worry, we will talk to the tiger and explain that one of the conditions for living in the forest is that you must also let the other animals live in the forest. We will show the tiger our covenant. Do you have covenants or guidelines that you have in your families, classrooms, or elsewhere? Are there places where you have a covenant? How about on the playground, at home, at church? Either guidelines which are spoken or written, or ones which are, uns which are unspoken but understood implicitly. Maybe you don't answer the phone when you're eating a meal together, no hitting during playtime, treat each other with respect and compassion. Can you think of other examples? So the animals explained to the tiger how things worked in their community and that this was indeed a friendly forest. Just as you may do when someone new joins you in a group, you explain what rules you are playing by. The lamb who had been concerned about the tiger went about things as usual. But it was not long before the tiger began to growl and make threatening gestures and menacing motions. Each time the frightened lamb went to its friends and said, it's very uncomfortable for me here in the forest. But the lamb's friends were reassuring. Don't worry, that's just how the tiger behaves. Maybe you're being too sensitive. Now, the tiger did not spend all or even most of their time around the lamb, but still, the lamb found it increasingly difficult to not be always thinking of the tiger and her growling and snarling. This made the lamb very upset, but the lamb remembered the advice of its friends and to try to put up with the tiger. Eventually, it got to be too much, and the lamb was really not feeling welcome or safe in the friendly forest. To the lamb, it no longer felt like a friendly forest. After all, the tiger was not living into the covenant of love and respect. This brings up the question, what happens if someone breaks our agreement, 
doesn't uphold our covenant. We might say, if someone breaks the covenant, we stop what we're doing and review our guidelines. We talk again about what the covenant is and why we have it. Have you had a time when an agreement has felt broken? The lamb went again to its friends and said, this truly has gone too far. I don't think I can stay in this forest when I'm feeling threatened by the tiger. The deer, who was a good friend of the lamb and the tiger, agreed to have a meeting where the tiger and lamb could discuss what was happening. So the deer got the lamb and the tiger together. They lit their chalice and they talked about their feelings. The lamb expressed that their agreement of safety and kindness was not being followed. And the tiger agreed to try, to try again and live into the spirit of the friendly forest. The lamb was hopeful about coming together and bringing back actions to the covenant. Even though at first it was difficult, the lamb was happy to have reached out to friends and the deer. After the deer had lamb and lamb had talked with the tiger, things got a little bit better. The growling and threatening stares lessened for the time being, but they did not go away. Quite soon, the lamb began to be uncomfortable and feel unsafe again. What was the lamb to do? The lamb was distraught. After all, this was the friendly forest, a community built on respect and love and compassion, where everyone should be able to feel safe and at home. The lamb thought about leaving the forest, possibly finding another wooded area to dwell in. The lamb didn't want to be mean to the tiger, who had also been accepted into the friendly forest. Well, the lamb was wise and had some very good friends. So the lamb again talked to the deer, but this time the tiger was unwilling to make any changes. The tiger didn't even want to talk about how the growling may be hurtful or scary to other members of the forest. She didn't want to talk about the promise of forgiveness and coming together again in love. And the tiger didn't want to change its behaviors to help sustain the friendly forest. That's a tough one. How is the forest open and welcoming, but still safe to all? Do the animals ask the lamb to leave? Do they ask the tiger to leave? Something else? So what do you think happened? What would you have done? We always guarantee that we'll leave you with more questions than answers. So with those questions, let us sing our recessional hymn to the children. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Hello, I'm Kevin Dooley. Today I'm going to be reading an adaption of The Bridge from Friedman's Tales by Edwin Freeman. There once was a man walking along who came upon a bridge that crossed through the middle of a town. It had been built high above a river in order to protect it from the floods of spring. He started across, then he noticed someone coming from the opposite direction. As they moved closer, it seemed as though the other was coming to greet him. 
When they were within hailing distance, he could see that the other had a rope around his waist. It was wrapped around him many times. The other began to uncurl the rope, and just as they were coming close, the stranger said, pardon me, would you be so kind as to hold the end a moment? Surprised by this politely phrased but curious request, the man agreed without a thought and reached out and took it. Thank you, said the other, and then he added, two hands now, and remember, hold tight, whereupon the stranger jumped off the bridge. Quickly, the free-falling body hurtled the distance of the rope's length, and from the bridge, the man abruptly felt the pull. Instinctively, he held tight and was almost dragged over the side. He managed to brace himself against the edge, however, and after having caught his breath, looked down at the other dangling close to oblivion. What are you trying to do? He yelled. Just hold tight, came the response. This is ridiculous, the man thought and began to trying to haul the other end in, but he could not get leverage. He could only balance. Why did you do this? The man called out. The stranger responded, if you let go, I'll be lost. But I cannot pull you up, the man cried. I am your responsibility, said the other. The man began to look around for help, but there was no one. How long could he wait? He examined the side, searching for a place to tie the rope, some protrusion perhaps, or maybe a hole in the boards. There was none. There was no way to get rid of his newfound burden. What do you want? He asked to the other hanging below. Just your help, he responded. How can I help? I cannot pull you in. There's no place to tie the rope, so I can go and find someone to help me help you. I know, just hang on, that'll be enough. Tie the rope around your waist, it'll be easier. Fearing that his arms could not hold much longer, the man tied the rope around his waist. Why did you do this? Don't you see what you have done? What possible purpose could you have had in mind? Just remember, said the other, my life is in your hands. What should he do? If I let go all of my life, I will know that the other, uh, that I let the other die. If I stay, I risk losing my momentum toward my own long sought after salvation. Either way, this will haunt me forever. As time went on, still no one came. A new thought occurred to the man on the bridge. While he could not pull the other up solely on his own efforts, if the other were to shorten the rope from his, from the far end by curling it around his waist again and again, together they could do it. Actually, the other could do it alone, as long as he, standing on the bridge, kept the rope still and steady. Now listen, he shouted, I think I know how to save you, and he explained his plan. But the other wasn't interested. You mean you won't help? But I told you, I cannot pull myself up by myself, and I don't think I can hang on much longer. You must try, the other shouted back in tears. If you fail, I die. The point of decision arrived. What should he do? My life or the others? And then a new idea, a revelation. So in fact, it seemed heretical, so alien was it to his traditional way of thinking. So a few questions. What do you think happened? What do you think the man should have done? And what would you have done? What was the most loving action? So this reading really spoke to me and made me reflect a lot. Um, Andrew chose it, but I was like, oh my God, this is like so good for me. So last year I became a volunteer firefighter at Skipback Fire Company. And I also made a New Year's resolution that's related to this topic. So the first one is to not live my life for other people. And the second part of the resolution is to not hold myself responsible for others' feelings and responses to my actions. 
So I think that to help others, so this is my answer. I'm not trying to answer for you. I don't have your answer, but this is, this is what my answer to this question is. So I think that to help others, I have to help myself first and make sure that I'm in a position where I can give help. I think that um, I also have been working on trying to uh, give what I can give and that when other people ask for things that I can't give, to be willing to say no, even if it's gonna result in something bad because I can't own what their response to my actions are. I think that when you're choosing things for others like this, you're actually taking away things from them. You're taking away their autonomy. If this person wants to jump off of a bridge by you putting your whole self into preventing that, you know, it's, it's taking away their choice. You know, this situation might not be a great outcome, but you know, you, you can't live other people's lives for each other. And um, I think that also to that last question of what's the most loving action, the most loving action is doing what you can do because you want to do it not because somebody needs you to do it. Thank you, Kevin. That's, I mean, that's our faith right there. It's like, ask the tough questions and we each have our own answers. And they're not gonna be the same. There may be some similarities. That, and the reason that we heard two of Rabbi Friedman's fables is that there are such accessible examples of the difficult love of covenant, the difficult love of accountability. I think they're fantastic. And the first story, The Friendly Forest, I mean, you, it was adapted. There were some edits, but it seems to be so explicitly about our faith, about Unitarian Universalism, right? We are a covenantal faith. Rather than saying you must believe a certain thing, a certain creed, we ask that you agree to a way of personal interaction, to our covenant of right relations. Unitarian Universalists make a covenant with each other a promise about how we're going to act in community. We're able to join together in our vast variety of beliefs because we agree on how to act with one another. Right? We don't have a test of, of faith for our membership, but we join together with this agreement of action and right relations, being together in this friendly forest, in this beloved community, means that you need to agree to walk kindly with each other. That's it. It doesn't matter if you mention God or if you don't mention God. It matters that you're okay and loving and caring to those people around you. Which begs the question, what, right, what does the community require of someone? It, it requires a promise of relationship. A promise that we will be supportive, respectful of each other, even when we disagree, especially when we disagree. That's when it's most needed. It's easy to be kind to someone who's always agreeing with you. It's when they don't. It's like, oh my gosh, how could she say that? Oh no, still come with kindness, right? Covenant is to value ourselves, value each other, value our differences, value the time we have together because of the shared agreement of action. And we're here because we agree on something, right? We're, we agree that we're going to play nice with each other. I've talked about this a lot, that we're bound to that promise. This is the Unitarian minister, Hosea Ballou, penned this, which I think is fantastic. If we agree on love, there is no disagreement that can do us any injury. That's wonderful. Okay, great. Easy enough. We agree. No, it's not easy at all. That's the whole point, right? It's not easy because here's exactly where that relationship gets dicey, where community gets hard. What do we do as an individual or as a community when our covenant is broken? Right? We saw it in the story. 
What do we do when someone is unwilling or unable to act in love or kindness? On purpose or by mistake, implicitly or explicitly, the agreement of action is broken. I mean, it's guaranteed, right? It's guaranteed that we're going to break our covenant. There was a saying in some Unitarian Universalist circles, a lot of youth groups have this, um, the saying that they use, oops and, uh, ouch and oops. Has anyone heard that? Oops and ouch? No? Okay, cool, great, I'll teach it to you, oops and ouch. It's a really easy simplification thing of what you do when these action promises are broken. The idea is that when you're hurt by something, you say, ouch, right? You, you let it be known that I'm hurt, ouch. And then the person who has hurt you on purpose or not on purpose, says, oops, right? These are the shortened, abbreviated versions. There's more to it than just saying, ouch and oops. It's saying, ouch, I felt this when this happened. And, oh, oops, I didn't realize that what I did made this happen, right? We don't always know when we hurt each other. And they, people don't always know when they hurt us. So we say, oops and ouch, oops and ouch. It's a start. We need to express when something happens, like when the lamb was saying to the lamb's friend, the deer, and then when the deer and the lamb went to the tiger, it's like expressing it, and the tiger said, I'm sorry, I'm going to try again better next time, right? That's, that's where we do that. They're saying something either to that person, or as with the lamb, to someone else, a trusted third party that can help you. And when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel unsafe, you tell a parent, you tell a friend, you tell a trusted adult, you tell a minister if you need and I'm talking to all of us here, right? All of us in our personal lives, especially in this community. When something doesn't feel right, you say something, you reach out. Reach out to someone in the hope that there can be a chance for reconciliation. We're not looking at retribution, we're looking at reconciliation. It's like the, the, the relationship is important. I want to reach out so that we can come back together into that covenant. I'm going to tell you a story about a previous congregation I served. There was this congregant named Bill. Um, it's not his real name. You can get that, right? Bill. Had been for a very long time a friend of the community, never joined as a member, uh, always there as a friend, always around for many, many years, always helping out. Wonderful. He did odd jobs around the building and grounds. He um, was there also, though, when he was not needed, showing up in youth-only areas, saying things that were inappropriate or offensive to other people, especially around women. And when I arrived, the previous minister mentioned him and told me, oh, that's just Bill being Bill. And at that moment, a flag went up. And I was like, oh, okay, I got to keep an eye on this and see what's happening with Bill. And I kept asking around the congregation. I got the same answer. Oh, Bill's a great guy. He repairs our plumbing. He paints the walls. He fixes broken chairs. And sometimes he can be a little rough, but that's just the way he is. Right? Yeah, I know some youth and some women don't feel comfortable around him, but, but he changed our toilet. So, so I sat down with Bill, and I talked to him, and I said, Bill, this is how we are in a community. This is what it means to be with each other. And everything seemed fine. But over the next few years, there were more complaints about his actions, an off-color joke here, an uncomfortable look or word, unwelcome touching or rude comments. So every time... I had a complaint, I took Bill aside, and when the person who made the complaint was comfortable, the three of us sat down together and talked about it. We talked about what happened and worked through more respectful ways of living in community. We went over our covenant, we went over how we live together with differences, and Bill, in turn, continually responded that that's just how he was. 
and that we, as Unitarian Universalists, were supposed to accept everyone. Right? I mean, I've, I've heard that. I may have, have even said that. I, I don't say it anymore. And after three instances, I involved the Congregational's lay leadership in the process. I said, look, this is it's above my pay grade, in a sense. Like, we need to get involved with what's happening with Bill. The lay leadership came to the conclusion that Bill was able to stay in our community if, if certain criteria were met. There wouldn't be any public announcement of censorship uh, to, about this, but Bill would have to conform to what the congregation had in place for things like this. In, in case of a broken covenant, this congregation had a what's called a limited access agreement, which is a generic form. It can be shifted and changed um, to, depending on what the issue is. So I'm not gonna do specifics, but it could have limitations on um, uh, access to youth spaces or access to money, depending on what's happening. Or you may always need to have another uh, lay, adult with you when you're in the building, something like that, or having to attend therapy or other limitations. Now, Bill, like the tiger, was unable or unwilling to agree to the re requested restrictions. So he was asked to leave the community, which is not an easy thing to do. This is not easy work, but this is where our faith holds us accountable and pushes us to hold others accountable. And our faith compels us to do the hard work when we mess up, that we come back together, and that we try to act again to come back into love, right? And our faith compels us to do the hard work that when someone else messes up, someone, else, someone will mess up on purpose, by accident, in real, or just in our, our, our expectations or what we see, there will be times when we mess up, and that our faith pushes us to come back into right relationship again and again. That's the hard work, that when we mess up, when someone else messes up, that we come back into that relationship. We maintain clear and open communication even with those with whom we have disagreements. Yeah, right? We come back again and again to our promise of a friendly forest, our promise of a beloved community. So sitting down with Bill and the persons who made complaints was not easy. This was not easy work, but it had to be done. This was the accountability with care, offering Bill a way forward, saying, you can be in our community. It was not the path everyone wanted to take, but it had to be done, and it was loving accountability. And finally, asking Bill to leave the community. It was painful, but it had to be done. The congregation showed Bill the love of accountability and showed the congregation the love of safety. Right? That's the hard work of covenant, of love, of accountability. And that's one of the hardest parts of creating and sustaining a beloved community. What do we do when our covenant is broken and there's no place for reconciliation? When the tiger says, this is just who I am. You're supposed to accept everyone. There's no easy answer. There's not an easy task. In 2014, a group of anti-abortion activists interrupted a church service in New Orleans. I don't know if you remember this when it happened. During the service, they stood up and they started verbally assaulting the congregation. So the minister asked them to leave. It's a Unitarian Universalist congregation. The minister, during the service, asked them to leave, as I would. Um, 
And the protesters challenged the minister and the community and said, but you said all are welcome here. You said all are welcome. The minister replied, you are welcome here if you can worship with us respectfully. If you cannot be respectful, you are respectfully invited outside of the threshold of this sanctuary. Yeah, right? That's loving to the community. That's welcoming to all if you are able to agree to how we act together. You may join us no matter your beliefs, but without agreement to our covenant, you are not welcome here. That response is caring, it's firm, because accountability without care is punishment to get retribution. We're not looking for punishment. If I don't care, I'm striving for punishment, I'm striving for harm. Accountability without care is punitive. And care without accountability leaves room for no room for self-growth, no room for self-betterment, right? If I don't hold you accountable, I'm not actually caring about you being a better person. If I didn't say, Bill, let's see how we can live into being a better person, that's not loving him. That's just letting him be as he is. Care without accountability is at best permissive and at worst enabling. Right? So our communities are based on love, inclusivity, but we are not welcoming to all people. We are not welcoming to all people. And that can be very hard for Unitarian Universalists to hear. We are not welcoming to all people. We are not welcoming to those who are, willing, who are not willing to live into our covenant of right relations, which excludes some people. That's okay. It's tough, but that's okay. We keep coming back to our actions. If one party is not willing to forgive, is not willing to begin again in love, then we may have to part ways. Should the tiger be asked to leave the forest? Should Bill have been asked to leave the congregation? Some would say yes, some would say no. It's a tough line. There's a very fine line between being radically open, radically inclusive, radically loving, and sustaining a community of care and safety, a sanctuary. Which brings me to the bridge, a different, albeit more personal take on accountability and loving compassion. The stranger, the other, who gives the main character an end of a rope and then jumps off the bridge. What is the stranger's intention? I mean, the stated intention is for help. Hold this, I need help, I jump off a bridge. Okay, all right. So imagine they're standing there holding the end of a rope with someone dangling over the edge, hanging over the precipice. Have you ever been handed a rope by someone? And then they jumped? Probably not literally the same, but I bet this has happened to you figuratively. People in the midst of addiction will do this all the time. Put all their agency with a relative or a friend all but forcing the friend or relative to take care of them, to look out for them. I'm once again out of money to pay my rent because I spend it all on gambling. Help me. Buy me some groceries. My last paycheck went to the liquor store. Young children or emotionally immature adults do this, blaming others for and expecting others to fix their missteps and their errors. And constantly running in to fix everything, Kevin alluded to, if you constantly run in and fix everything, like, I'll take, I, I got, I, I got you, I'll, I, I'll spot you again. I'll, spot, I'll got, take care of this. That's holding on to the rope. 
That's holding on to that rope. Being so enmeshed with another's problems that you can't live your own life is holding on to that rope. The odd thing is that sometimes it feels really good. Right? I mean, I, I know this in myself. It feels really good to hold that rope. It's like having someone else's life in our hands means that we're important. It means that we can help. I can help you. I feel important. Oh, yes. Okay, good. I'm the only person that can make a difference. I'm happy to buy your groceries and cover your rent. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful because sometimes that help is merely enabling someone to stay in harm's way and possibly hindering their own ability to grow as a person. Right? And we can, we can actually look at the opposite situation too. I'm always about, like, well, what about this way? And what about that way? I'm going to challenge you some more. Have you ever given the rope to someone, say, here, hold on to this, and then jumped? Saying, you make me so angry when... That's no agency of me. It's like saying, you make me angry. You drive me crazier. I need a drink when, or even the more subtle, you're my only hope. That's handing over the rope and jumping. When we say those phrases we're doing is giving away our own agency to our own actions. I'm no longer in control. Rather than saying or thinking, there's a subtle difference. You make me angry versus I feel angry when. That's me. I feel like drinking when I need help. That's me, rather than you make me. It's up to the person we're talking to whether or not they accept that rope, whether or not they internalize, oh, yes, I need to change so I don't hurt them, or I need to alter my actions to save them, or whether they can be self-differentiated and say, how can they be loving toward us? These two stories, they can seem to be at odds, Right? For in the first instance, we're asking someone, Bill the tiger, to change so that they don't hurt others. Right? In the second instance, we're looking at ourselves and our own reactions. The difference is where the accountability is coming from, where the love is coming from, which is why it's so important to be in relationship, in community. Right? We, don't, we don't get this when we're by ourselves. It's very difficult to hold yourself accountable. With the tiger or the Bill, with Bill, the community is reaching out with loving accountability, saying to have members of the community uphold standards of safety and kindness. The reaction is saying, you can stay, but there must be changes. And we will help you with those changes. We will walk with you. On the bridge, the person approached has the option to react with loving accountability, the option of saying, I will help you, but you have to help yourself too. Now, the charge for us is to engage with the very difficult, the very difficult, deeply faithful work. The charge is to reach out when we need accountability. It's not a fun word, but like this is, this is deep stuff. Reach out when we need that accountability. Not try, tying someone to us, but asking for assistance. A dear friend, a family member, colleague, minister, a therapist, these are relationships where we can ask for that accountability. Not hold this rope, I'm jumping. Not save me, but help me. Hey, I'm having a hard time. Can you give me an outside view just to see what might make sense for me next? I've jumped off a bridge. How can I get back on? What work do I need to do? Where can I learn and grow? Those are much harder requests than save me. Because for when I ask for help, I still need to be doing some personal work and personal growth. 
It's not up to someone else to save me. They can help. Oh, yeah, of course, yes, ask for help. But in times of need, we need to ask for accountability, not permission or enablement. So I'm going to give you, I like to get very specific. So I'm going to give you examples of people we hopefully can expect to provide loving accountability. And you may have more in mind, right? Therapist, loving accountability. Physical trainer, fitness trainer, yeah, coach, absolutely. Romantic partner, financial planner, yeah, right? Anyone who hopefully has our best interests in mind. A therapist who always, always says I'm doing great isn't a good, I mean, it may make me feel good, but that's not a good therapy session. It's like, yeah, good job, Andrew, nice stuck, nice work. It's like, no, that's good for my ego, but it will not help me get to be a better person. The better therapist who's, who's one who can hear my struggles and provide guidance or a mirror to say, this is what I'm hearing you say. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm. A fitness trainer who doesn't correct my form or provide challenge will hurt me at worst and definitely not get me stronger to be a better person physically. A romantic partner who doesn't tell me when I've messed up probably won't remain a romantic partner. These things will fester and never get healed. A financial planner who doesn't correct an unwise investment, well, my holdings will shrink. That one's easy. There are many, many more examples of what we could think of where we want that accountable, caring presence, doing the difficult truth of telling, of keeping in care is preferred to the sort of automatic and unwarranted praise. Right. It's tough, though. And, and, and when I was, the new bylaws for the UU, I have accountability in there. And I know there's been some reaction because I've heard it. And even in planning for the service, I had some people respond to me and say, hey, I see you talking about accountability. I'm not really comfortable with this. That's great. I love having those feedback sessions, the comments. And accountability, getting that place in a relationship is hard. It takes work to get there. Because who holds me accountable? Who, who has that authority? Right? Accountability takes, accountability takes courage. It takes love and it takes trust. It's not just any person you meet on the street. You don't go up to a stranger and be like, hey, I saw you do this thing. That's not really the best thing you could do. It's like, that's not going to work out. And as an example, I'm gonna, I'll tell you that I'm going to surprise you, and then I'm going to surprise you. How's that? You can even be prepared. As a real-life example, I want to look at our past President Trump and Fox News. Who saw that coming? No. no, you heard me right? Back in July of 2020, Chris Wallace from Fox News interviewed Trump, and he did exactly what I'm talking about. He held Trump accountable. If you want to see this interview, it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's wonderful, I think. You can search Trump Goes One-on-One -on -one with Chris Wallace on YouTube, and it'll come up in 2020. So in the video, Wallace fact-checks Trump in real time, and his statements, he fact-checks them in real time about the then very new COVID-19, about cancel culture, uh, about Trump taking the intelligence test. Do you remember that? Where there's like this test he took? I aced that test. And Wallace was like, okay. And Wallace doesn't let Trump get away with equivocation or outright untruth. And he tries. Trump tries, as, as we have seen. He tries this. In order to hold someone accountable, there must be a foundation of trust. 
there must be a foundation of trust, of some relationship there before you get to accountability. Trump would not have reacted well had the exact same questions been posed by CNN or MSNBC, right? There's no way. There's a layer of trust that Fox News and Chris Wallace have built up with Trump so that he was willing to be part of this very public practice of accountability. It's, it's really neat. There has to be that trust or else trying to hold someone accountable comes off as judgmental without love or care. This is the part of the problem with the UUA saying, this, this is where you're being held accountable. And we look at it and we say, by whom? In what relationship do we have with you before we get to that point of deep relationship of accountability? We need trust first. We need trust first and then, and then there can be the caring and loving accountability, right? I mean, yeah. And from the outside, it can be hard to see that trust. It can be hard to see the, the love. And the inside, it can feel painful and difficult, right? If someone's holding me accountable, like, Andrew, you just said this, and this is how you acted. Like, that doesn't feel nice, but that's love right there. That's love. That's where we need to go, that place of trust, that place of love, which doesn't always look nice, doesn't always feel comfortable, but which will help us and others grow into better people. So bringing this home, so to speak, I look at our mission, um, this community's mission, the purpose that we exist, the goal of this community. We are a welcoming and nurturing community dedicated to inspiring spiritual growth and fellowship for adults and children. If I'm going to be part of a welcoming and nurturing community with others, I must have those difficult conversations. I must have those uncomfortable, those loving accountability, right? Being inspired towards spiritual growth means having others point out when we're not being loving toward ourselves, when we're not being loving toward each other, to the holy. It means pointing out to others, not only being open to being pointed out to ourselves, but pointing out to others when they're not being loving to themselves, to each other, to the holy. It means supporting others in being more loving. It means living into that tough, difficult, uncomfortable, accountable love. And I do always like to bring my theory to practice. So I'm going to finish all up with that. How do we, what do you, I get all the theory. How do we bring this into practice? I'm going to end with some ideas of what this might look like in everyday life. The accountability as love that I'm talking about is the good, healthy, and difficult love of wanting growth, wanting betterment. It looks like reaching out to a friend, to a colleague, to a minister, a therapist, a teacher, a personal trainer, a support group, a counselor, family member, to reach out to someone you trust for help. I feel like I'm drinking too much. Can you help me? Love looks like naming it, again, with care and trust in others. Hey, what you said to your spouse felt hurtful to me. Can we talk about that? Right, not, these aren't easy statements. This accountability as love, it also doesn't have to be groundbreaking, right? This doesn't have to be groundbreaking stuff. Hey, Dad, you're good at time management. Can you teach me some of that? Or, friend, what's up with that curt email message? It means stepping into the, the difficult loving and difficult care. This community invites us to embody love, to embody compassion and growth. We are invited to embody love. That invitation is not easy. 
Embodying love is not easy. It takes practice. It takes mistakes. It takes support and it takes that difficult care. So live into that caring, that difficult, that uncomfortable love. Hear the invitation to embody love, even when it is hard and difficult. Amen. And entering into our next hymn, I want to make a reminder of what we talked about two weeks ago. It's not a quiz, don't worry. That sometimes it can be helped to translate the theology in our minds. So this next hymn, Wade in the Water, it says, God's going to trouble the water. If, if that doesn't work for you, switch God for love. Love's going to trouble the water. Because love and accountability, love surely does sometimes trouble that water. So rise in body or in spirit, bless you. For number 210, Wade in the Water. We can bring this time of sharing to a close by singing Spirit of Life. It will come up here on the screen momentarily.
May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once, may we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. Amen and blessed be. Our closing hymn is number 299, Make Channels for the Streams of Love. You may rise in body or in spirit and join with singing. Make channels for the streams of love where they may broadly run and love us all. As we come to the closing of our service, we remember that as the flames are extinguished, we keep them burning in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions throughout the week until we kindle these specific flames again. Worship need not cease. It can echo in our lives, in our words, in our deeds, in our moods, in our dreams. Carry worship wherever you may go. Be a blessing in your going out and your coming in. Amen and blessed be.